Good morning. Uh, we're uh, glad that you're here. Uh, t- hey, today uh, my uh, delivery style is going to be uh, a little bit different. I'm going to stay kind of tied to my notes today. We're we're talking about an issue today that honestly has been controversial uh, in the church uh, for hundreds of years, uh, the issue of patriotism. And um, we're going to talk about it today, uh, but when I wander from my notes, I get into trouble. So, um, so I'm not going to wander from my notes. I, I want to say exactly what I plan to say. So, um, and then uh, if I'm in trouble, so be it. So um, let me go ahead and pray. I, I'm teasing, of course, but let's go ahead and pray, and uh, then we'll get into it. All right, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you uh, uh, for the love uh, that he demonstrates and the love that he calls us to. Help us to do it well. Help us to be uh, your people living in this nation at this time, uh, loving others. Help us to do that well. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Once there was a little boy uh, who lived in the country, and it was years and years ago now, and his family used an outhouse. And the boy, mischievous little boy running around, he decided he would run by that outhouse one day and push it down a ravine. And then pushed it and slid down the hill, and uh, he went and played the rest of his day. And when he got back into the house, they were eating dinner, and the father was there, and he said, Listen, when we're done with dinner, you know I'm going to have to spank you, right? And the little boy was just outraged, and he said, spank me for what? And he said, well, I found the outhouse uh, down at the ravine, and I know that you pushed it in, and uh, so you're going to have to get in trouble for that. Did did you push it down the ravine? Just just admit to it. And the little boy said, I can't tell a lie. Uh, I did push the outhouse down the ravine. And he said, but uh, earlier this week at school, I learned about George Washington, who uh, chopped down a cherry tree, and when his dad asked him if he chopped down the cherry tree, cherry tree, George Washington admitted to what he did, and he didn't get in any trouble with his dad. And his dad said, well, that may be true, but George Washington's father wasn't in the tree when he chopped it down. Um, so, right, it's happy, happy July 4th weekend. I, honestly, a good George Washington joke in there. And I want to I wanna start by just kind of asking a, a question that we're going to be kind of simmering on. Uh, for the next half hour to 40 minutes or so, uh, depending on if I keep my word and do stick to these notes, all right? Um, should a Christian be patriotic? Should a Christian be patriotic? And I'll tell you something. If you Google that question later today, should a Christian be patriotic? Uh, the Christian faith has had a lot to say on this, honestly, for hundreds of years. And I want to throw some uh, quotes up on you and, and just kind of get us thinking about this topic a little bit. G.K. Chesterton said, my country, right or wrong, is a thing that no patriot would think of saying except in a desperate case. It's like saying my mother, drunk or sober. No doubt if a decent man's mother took to drink, he would share her troubles to the last, but to talk as if he would be in a state of gay indifference as to whether his mother took a drink or not is certainly not the language of a man who knows the great mystery. Evangelist Billy Sunday said, Christianity and patriotism are synonymous terms, and hell and traitors are also synonymous. Uh, George Washington said, when we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion, to the distinguished character of patriot. It should be our highest glory to add uh, the more distinguished character uh, to add the more distinguished character of Christian. 
uh, South African author Alan Payton in a, in a book he wrote called Instrument of Thy, of Thy Peace. He said, there is many a nation in the world that regards it as traitorous for a person to have a cause higher of a higher order than that of nation. If this nation calls itself Christian, it will argue that loyalty to God and loyalty to nation are one and the same thing. And it will invent a Christian nationalism in which one may have the both best of both worlds. Is the tension there yet? All right. They're pretty, pretty good quotes, right? Should Christians be patriotic? And I think there's actually a better question to ask than this, while I have the, the tensions nice and high. And I think the better question to ask is, was Jesus patriotic? Right? Our mission statement says that we are a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. So if we want to be more like Jesus in this area, I certainly think we could ask the question, was Jesus patriotic? And I think that to understand that, we have to go back in biblical history a little bit to Genesis 12. That in Genesis 12, God called Abraham to leave his country and his people, his father's household, and go to a land that God would show him. And God promised that through Abraham, he was going to establish a nation. And through that nation, the entire world would eventually be blessed. And we know that in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read about Jesus being born, and that Jesus was born to the nation of Israel, and Jesus was through whom the entire world ended up being blessed. And as the story goes on from Abraham, there is a hiccup in the story where God's people find themselves in slavery, uh, and God, through Moses, ends up rescuing them. And I want to show you what God said kind of during that era. He said, uh, for you are a holy nation to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the nations on the earth to be his own. The Lord did not give you his love and chooses you because you were more people than any of the other nations, for the number of your people was less than the other nations. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise he made to your fathers. So the Lord brought you out by a strong hand. He set you free from the land where you were servants and uh, the power of Pharaoh the king. Know then that the Lord your God is God. He's the faithful God. He keeps his promise and shows his loving kindness to those who love him and keep his laws, even to a thousand family groups into the future. But he destroys those who hate him. He will not show kindness to the one who hates him, but will punish him to his face. So keep and obey all the laws I am telling you today. So one of the things that becomes clear in the Old Testament is that God loves Israel. And he doesn't just love Israel. Remember, the plan in the Old Testament was always that by loving Israel, he would eventually be a blessing to the entire world. That eventually his love would be seen in every nation and in every people group. And so when God comes in human flesh, when he comes as Jesus, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Jesus, there is no doubt about this, Jesus loved the Jewish people. He loved his people. He came in part for the Jewish people. So I think it depends depends largely on how you define the word patriot, but I think you can make a strong argument that Jesus was patriotic, that he loved his people, that he loved his nation. He wanted them to be saved. Jesus loved his country. Uh, And I think it's important that we love our country as well, in in the same way that Jesus did. Uh, Jesus set this example for us. He loves his nation. He loves his people. He's trying to save them. He doesn't just love his nation. He loves all the nations. We'll talk about that later. But he certainly loved the Jewish people. And I think he sets the example also in his teaching in this. In Matthew 22, uh, a religious leader comes to him and says, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So, loving God is the first and what? Greatest. All right? We're going to file this away for later on in the sermon. Loving God is the greatest commandment. All right? Loving God is the greatest commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. And that really is true. As you read your Old Testament, you would not be able to find a law that doesn't fit into one of those two commands. Loving God and loving people. And these are the two highest priorities for a Christian. Love God Love people, love God, love people. And so I just want to delve into this text for a few minutes because it's going to set up what we're going to talk about uh, in about five to ten minutes. That Jesus teaches us that loving God is our highest priority, loving God with all of our heart. All right, this is a very, very interesting word, and it's one that we've kind of become deprogrammed on. But this idea of the heart in the New Testament was this is an act of the will. This is not, in our culture, this is an act of the emotion. In Jesus' culture, loving God with your heart was an act of the will. It was something you decided to do. And we really don't get this because we've seen too many romantic movies. I haven't, but I'm sure you have, all right? Um, just to be clear, all right? Where the actors and actresses are backlit and wonderful music is playing and they gaze into each other's eyes. We've seen too much Bachelor and Bachelorette where the, the couples are like traveling all around the world and they're having these romantic dinners together. And then when they come back to the States and there's like dirty dishes and house cleaning and chores to do, they break up, right? Only I think one couple out of all of those has ever made it, maybe a few more than that. But by and large, they, they mostly break up because we have this very romantic view of love. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not what this word means. Uh, this word is an act of the will. You know what the Bible says about God? Uh, the Bible says that to love God is to keep his commandments. To love God is to keep his commandments. God's love language is obedience. God's love language is obedience. This is because often the Bible would describe love as exactly this way. That, the, the, that love in the Bible is an act of the will. That I am making the decision. I'm making the decision, regardless of how I feel, I'm making the decision to love God today. I'm making the decision to obey him. I'm making the decision to worship him. I'm making the decision to walk with him. I'm empowered by the spirit, of course, but my will is in line with the spirit's work. And this is the decision I'm making. So we love God with our heart. We love God with our soul. This gets more into the internal, that every person has a soul. Every person has a spirit. This is some of what separates us a little bit from the animals. Now, don't misunderstand me. Animals are cool. Uh, they have personality. They have anxieties. Uh, there's more than just flesh and blood there. But listen, a dog cannot communicate with God the way that you can. A dog cannot pray to God the way that you can. A dog cannot repent. Right? So... Uh, a week or two ago, uh, we were late for swim lessons, for same swim lessons at Fairview uh, Pool. And so we were kind of running around, and we ran out the door, and we forgot to crate Daisy, our dog, our beagle, while we were gone. And so we got back from swim lessons, and she had spread trash all over our house. She didn't feel bad about that. I could tell, right? She didn't feel bad about that. She's a dog. Her spiritual life, her sense of repentance, her sense of sin is nil. Trust me. But we have this internal part of us 
that God placed inside of us. This is why we often say that life will not make sense until we understand that we were created to know, honor, and worship God. God placed that inside of us. So there's this love of the will that we talked about earlier, but the love of the will should be driven by, the engine of it should be this, hopefully, this internal, passionate love of God in our souls. Uh, but the order that Jesus placed these in is really interesting. Have you ever heard the phrase, like, fake it till you make it? That often... Uh, often you'll hear people say this to someone in marriage trouble. It's like if you're not happy in your, ma- ma- uh, in your marriage, just kind of fake it and eventually the feelings will follow. Jesus actually taught this about generosity. He said, where your money is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus says, lead with your money and that your heart will follow uh, where your money uh, your goes. Your, 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 uh, your, your sense of that will, will follow your action. I find it very interesting the order of these two things. Jesus starts with, Loving God with your will, loving God with your heart. And then he says, love God with your soul. Because I believe that the soul and the feelings and all that stuff will follow when we make the decision to follow God. When we make the decision to be obedient to him. Lastly, Jesus says, love God with your mind. And it is exactly what it sounds like. Love God intellectually. Love God cerebrally. Uh, that we want people to know Jesus better. And so we read and we study and we take classes and we engage our brains in the process of knowing Jesus more because to know Jesus more is to love Jesus better. But this loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is not the only command. It is the first and greatest command, but there is a second command. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Now, let me kind of pause here just for a minute. There is a principle in the Bible. It is called the principle of the first. That whenever you see a list in the Bible, the first mention is is mentioned for a very, very important reason. And we get this. Because if I asked you to name uh, your favorite ice creams or your favorite movies or your favorite children, the first one that you mentioned... No? All right. If I asked you to mention your favorite ice cream or your favorite movies, the first one that you mentioned would have special significance to you. And this is the same thing in the Bible, the law of the first. So the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. And then all the other commandments flow from our obedience to the first commandment. That when God is in his proper place, when God is on on the throne, all the other commandments that have to do with property and life and integrity, they fall into place. The law of first mention. Uh, In Galatians, there's fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The first mention is the law of love. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. And all the other fruits of the Spirit fall into place when we love God and we love others. Uh, In Matthew 5, uh, Jesus is preaching on on the Sermon on the Mount, on these attitudes that every Christian should have. The first attitude he mentions is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That when we have this attitude of, I can't do this on my own, and I need Jesus, I need to be empowered by him, I need his forgiveness, I need his, his grace, I need his example, I need his life. When, when we are poor in spirit, all the other attitudes flow from that of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and being meek and mourning over my sin. All those things fall into place when you study the law of first mention. So it's true in the text we're studying today too. Our love for God first, the reason I want to talk about that for so long, our love for God uh, influences and informs our love for others. Right? And when you study the passages of the New Testament where God says who we should love, it's everybody. 
We should love every single person, including at one point, Jesus says, love your enemies. And our love for God first will influence our love for others. So let me give you an example. Loving God reminds us that God created them. You may not like them. You may not want to be around them, but God created them and he created them for a pers- for, for a reason. Loving God uh, reminds us that God sent his son to die for them. Right? Maybe you wouldn't die for them. Maybe you don't like them very much, but God sent his son to die for them. Loving God reminds us that he equips them and gifts them. They are unique and they are special. Uh, maybe too unique and too special, but they are, they're unique and they're special and God created them that way. So listen, I don't think it's wrong for you to love your country. As a matter of fact, I think it's core to Christianity. That we do love our country. That we are called to love God first. And loving God first, flowing out of that, is a love for other people. We are called to love our neighbors. But I want to kind of add a few, that statement is true-ish. Because I want to add a few caveats to it. Because I do think we should love our nation. But our love for country should not be, first of all, it shouldn't be ultimate. It shouldn't be ultimate. It shouldn't become the first command. Right? It, it, it shouldn't be uh, the main way that I process my thoughts and my decisions and my life is what's best for my country. That shouldn't be the first kind of line of thought that we have. I think it's very easy for patriotism to become idolatry. And patriotism becomes idolatry when it's exactly what that quote earlier mentioned. My country, right or wrong. I'm behind and I'm for my country no matter what my country does. Country first. No, the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind. God is always and should always be first. And it it also becomes an idol when it's no longer about loving people. Right, The commandment is love God, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That when our love for country becomes ideological, more ideological than it is relational, when it becomes political, we're probably missing the mark. Let me be clear. I think Jesus said things that would offend both Republicans and Democrats. I do. I think Jesus said things that should rattle the cages of both political groups. And so when we never stray in our belief system very far from our personal political ideology, we are probably considering that political ideology higher than we should. And so love of country should not be ultimate. Loving God is ultimate. Right? And, and it, it, it just shouldn't be ultimate. It also shouldn't be only Loving your country shouldn't be only. In other words, you don't just love your country. Uh, Cheryl's sister, uh, Victoria, went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And uh, as she was, uh, just recently, as she was preparing to go, uh, she talked about more than one of uh, her patients, she's a chiropractor, came in and kind of challenged her on why she would be going to the Philippines when our country has enough problems uh, of its own. Um, and that why on earth would she go and love the Philippines when there's so many problems right here in, in our country? Listen, Jesus came to be a blessing to the entire world. And so we are called to be a blessing to the entire world. So we love the entire world. Yeah, it's okay to love your country. You, you, we're called to it. But you should also love the Philippines. You should also love Iraq. You, you should also love Great Britain. You should also love France. You are called to love your country, but this thing that Jesus came to do, that he came to the Jewish people, but he came to be a blessing to the entire world, is a model that we follow. That we are not called to just be a blessing to America. We are called to be a blessing to the entire 
world. So I, I think what some of those quotes I shared earlier would say is don't allow your patriotism to restrain the power of your message. Right? Don't allow your patriotism to be like America first, America only, nobody else matters. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be inward because the gospel, Jesus makes this really, really clear. The gospel is for everyone. It's for everyone. It's, it's for Iraqis. It's for those in Great Britain. It's for Afghanistan. The gospel is for everyone. So we love everyone. Are we doing okay? I'm not done yet. All right, but I just want to make sure. All right. So it shouldn't be ultimate. Our patriotism shouldn't be ultimate. It shouldn't be only. Here's, here's the last thing. I want to talk about this for a while. It shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be easy. We often think of patriotism as flying flags and singing certain songs and barbecues and slogans and fireworks. And that's easy. But when you consider the love the Bible talks about and the way the Bible describes our love, loving your country, as I'm about to describe it, should be hard. Right, right. Loving your country should not be easy. It shouldn't be just a bumper sticker you slap on your car and you're like, you know, proud to be an American, thumbs up. You know, it, 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 is, it, is, it is a hard thing. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, and you tell me how hard you think this is. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Loving your country, loving your neighbor, loving the people around you is not an easy thing to do. And it shouldn't be an easy thing to do. It goes way beyond flags and bumper stickers and fireworks and barbecues. When, when, and that, that's the test of patriotism. So let me give you a few kind of love tests, if I can, uh, to close out this message. And we'll just kind of see how we're doing on this. The first, I would say, is the boasting and pride test. That love does not boast and love is not proud. And so when he talks in this passage about boasting and pride, he's not talking about your kids performed well at school or on the athletic field and you're proud. He's talking about you should be proud of your kids. right? Your kids did well. You should be proud. He's talking about an attitude that says, look at what I built with my own two hands. When he talks about pride, when he's talking about boasting, he's talking about an attitude that neglects to see God's role and God's blessing in every single thing that we have. That's what he's talking about. Is It's an attitude that says, I did this. I did this on my own. I didn't have any help from anyone. And Paul and, and the other church leaders would say, really, you don't see God's blessing? You don't see God's help. You don't see God's giftedness. You don't see God's uh, power at work in, in your life. It's an attitude that says, I did this completely on my own. And I think we struggle with this a little bit as a nation, if I can speak into that just for a little bit. We were built to be, and we are, a very self-sufficient people as a nation. And I think it's easy for us as Americans to say, um, look at what I did. Uh, look at how hard I work. Look at the life that I built. Look at what I bought. Look at what I produced. Look at, look, look at everything that I did with my own two hands. And this affects a lot of things, but you know what it affects most of all? It affects my ability to love others. Because a boastful and prideful person will begin to view everybody through that lens. And will begin to say, who's contributing the way that I'm contributing? 
Um, who's giving back to their community the way I'm giving back to my community? Who's making what I'm making? Who's self-sufficient like I'm self-sufficient? And we begin to love those people and exclude those who aren't. Boasting and pride will always lead to an attitude that says you're not worthy of love because you're not producing the way that I'm producing. Uh, you're, not, you're not worthy of my time because you're in a different income or different bracket than, than I am. It is an, always an attitude that will begin to exclude others in our boasting and pride about what we did. And as I said earlier, the gospel is for everyone. So we're called to love everyone. So here's the test. Do I love those that no one in society is boasting in? That's the test. When you think about all the boasting that happens about how much I make, the type of house I have, the type of car I drive, all that stuff, do I love those that no one in society is boasting in? It, it, this should be hard because we are called to love all, and it's more challenging, but it's a, it's a love that we're called to give. Have you ever noticed how much people like that, like that question up there, how much those people love Jesus? They loved him. They flocked to him, right? Sinners. Tax collectors, prostitutes, people that no one in his society was boasting in flocked to Jesus. And you know how we get to this point? I really believe this with all of my heart. The way we get to this point is that our boasting and our pride uh, becomes focused on God. That we don't boast in pride on what we built. We don't boast in pride on what we did. We don't boast in pride on how much we've saved. We boast and, pr- and have our pride in God. We boast in him. We boast in his love. We boast in his grace. We boast in his mercy. And we are reminded uh, when we boast in God, we are reminded that, that we are called to love the same people that, that he loved with his entire life, a people that love and show grace to all. So it's the boasting and pride test. It's the different from me test. The different from me test. Paul goes on to say that love is patient and love is kind. So part of what it means to love your country, if you're going to be patriotic and you say, man, I, I want to love America, I want my love for, to go even beyond America, part of what this looks like is if you're going to be a good patriot and you're going to love your country well, you have got to love people that are different from you. Because guess what? They're in the country too. <laughs> right? So you're going to have to love people that are different from you. Jesus taught one time, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Everybody does that. Everybody loves those who love Love them back. Everybody does that. His point is that, is that because of Jesus' presence in our life, because of his example, we are called to love differently. So part of the love test would be, um, uh, do, am I loving well people that are different than me? So let me be very, very clear. If I'm Republican, when's the last time I loved a Democrat? Bum, bum, bum. Right, right. If I'm a liberal, when is the last time I loved a conservative? Uh, when is the last time I love someone from a different class or race or station of life? To love my country is to love my country. To love my country is to love my country. It is an all play. It is for everyone. My love should flow to everyone. And we have become so separated in this country that we all kind of chuckled nervously, admittedly, a little bit when I even proposed this. Because Republicans don't love Democrats. Republicans hate Democrats. Right? Democrats hate Republicans. We, 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 we can't stand people that are different from us except in the kingdom of God. Except for those that have been so moved and so touched by the example of Jesus who came and loved all. He loved people from every station, every walk, every sin zone that you can name. Right? He, he loved people that came from all of that. It was an all play to Jesus, so it's an all play for us. Uh, and the last one is the criticism test. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. To be patriotic does not mean you never criticize your country. It doesn't mean that. Patriotism does not mean you never, ever criticize your country. As a matter of fact, I would say if you are going to refuse to delight in evil and rejoice in the truth in this country, you better have a few criticisms of how we're doing this as a nation. <laughs> right? You, you better have a few criticisms. If you're going to truly refuse to delight in evil but instead rejoice with the truth, you're going to have criticisms of your country. And guess what? That's patriotic. It's patriotic. It's wanting what is best for your country. And I say this because I feel a real sensitivity today toward challenging and criticizing our country. Right? You, you hear all this stuff. As soon as someone criticizes or, or challenges the country, like, you don't like it, here, you move. Right? No. And I think some of this can be grounded a little bit in idolatry. Uh, but it's this attitude of country first, right or wrong. And we have to dismiss that. To love your country. If you're going to love the truth, if you're going to refuse to, to bask in, in evil and delight in evil, then we are going to have to be able to respectfully, grounded in God's word, kindly, we're going to have to be able to say some things that, that are critical of our country. And I think that's a separate message. Um, I'm not going to do that today. All right. So, but I think if we're going to follow 1 Corinthians 13 well, there are some criticisms where our country right now uh, is delighting in evil and rejecting the truth. And I think the church has a role to play for that. But right now it's being fully dismissed as you can't, you can't say anything criti- critical. So I want to encourage us to love our country. I do. And maybe you thought when I got up here, this message was going to take a different angle. But I want to encourage us to love our country. But I want want to say this. Don't ever let that be ultimate. In other words, don't let it become an idol. Country first. God is first. God is first. So don't let it be ultimate. Don't let it be only. That you and I are called to love every nation on this planet. The gospel is for everyone. So don't let it be only. And it should never be easy. There should always be a tension in your life. Um, if there's no tension in your life, you're probably too surrounded by Republicans or Democrats or you're too surrounded by your own tribe because there should always be a tension uh, in your life of trying to love the, the people around you. It's supposed to be really hard. But you know what? It's so worth it. And you want to know what else? Our country so needs this. Our country so needs people that are willing to live in the tension and say, so I know that you voted for Hillary. I know, know you voted for, for Donald Trump. I, I know that we see things in a totally different way. I love you anyway. And I'm not walking away from this relationship because I believe God created you and God loves you and God has gifted you and God wants more for you. I, I believe that, 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 that God is for you, not against you. So I'm not leaving this relationship even though we see things in a politically different way. So happy July 4th. Happy July 4th. I felt it the whole time. Did you? You think it's hard for you to hear it? Sorry being the one to say it. All right. Um, Happy July 4th. Let's be good patriots. Let's love the people around us well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. Um, 
we thank you for his love that he calls us uh, to love our country and to love the people around us well. We want to follow his example. Um, it should not be easy, Lord. Forgive us if we boiled this thing down to a slogan. It should not be easy. It should be really hard uh, to be in the mess and, and to be in the midst of people's lives. It should be hard. Um, it shouldn't be ultimate. You are ultimate. And Lord, it shouldn't be only. We are not called to just love our country. We are called to love every country on this planet with, with your love and with the gospel that you have for us. Help us to do that well as well. And I know our church, um, we're really serious about that in, in our missions, um, to, lo- to love everybody. So help us to continue to do that and help us as individuals to do it well. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We stand. Uh, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, I'd love to pray with you. Um, if you're interested in, in hearing more about the love of Jesus, we'd love to begin a conversation with you about that as well. It is a love that changes everything. Um, it, it is. It truly is. It's a love that changes all. So let's sing this song together. And if you have a prayer request or prayer need, you can come forward as well.